could shine between the lines if you would let yourself go find some place you know you can use your words use your hands you can change the world just pretend express yourself take a chance and you'll see who you'll be it's time to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Life has many ways of testing a person's will either by having nothing happen at all or by having everything happen all at once. That is a quote by Paolo Coelho. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people, a platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, creator and producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airways as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. I'm Caitlin Darrow, and before we get into today's show, Be The Star You Are's volunteers and I want to urge you to check out our website at btsya.org. Go to the events tab to find exciting events we have coming up and also visit us at expressyourselfteenradio.com to check out our past editions of our show. We're so, so thrilled to have received a certificate of recognition from the California legislator honoring Be The Star You Are volunteers for 20 years of dedicated service to the community through literacy and positive media messages. And we are determined to continue our empowering efforts. For our first segment of today's show, Brigitte Gia will be here sharing her experiences with overcoming overwhelm, which will be our overall theme for today. Welcome, Brigitte. Hi there. Uh, Super excited to be on today and talking about kind of overcoming uh, overwhelming obstacles and getting through whatever life throws at you, essentially. Uh, so I just wanted to define some, you know, common overwhelming obstacles that people uh, find themselves dealing with that we all sort of encounter at one point or another in our lives. Uh, first sort of obstacle that a lot of people uh, hit or are hit with uh, is is the personal kind. So uh, an individual may find him or herself in a tight spot physically. So maybe some accident has occurred or something has happened where our bodies are not 100%. They're not as well as we'd like them to be. Or it might be mental, which is definitely pretty common, especially kind of in the uh, the, the young adult uh, age range or, or when you're an adolescent or when you're going through college and maybe post-college trying to figure out where you want your life to go. You're often hit with a lot of uh, personal mental obstacles. So I think those are two personal obstacles that are often overwhelming in their nature and are a little bit more difficult for the individual to get through. 
there's also the familial or relationship-related overwhelming obstacle that a lot of people find themselves dealing with throughout life. Uh, you have maybe the maybe a close friend or a loved one has passed away, or maybe there's been some sort of estrangement within your family or your friend groups or uh, between people that you know or between yourself and the people around you. Maybe you feel a little disconnected. Maybe you've had arguments and rifts. So that's definitely... Uh, a lot of the times that can be overwhelming when you're interacting with other people, especially with those with whom you've had that sort of uh, obstacle. And I think on, on that, I definitely like to say that it is never too late to make amends. Uh, for me personally, my sister and I are not super, super close. Uh, we are seven years apart, and it's always been a little difficult to step out of my comfort zone and reach out to her. But I was recently told that, again, it's never too late to make amends, especially between family members. So I'm excited to say that she and I have been connecting a little better and we're getting to know one another. And that's been really nice. So I want to move on uh, from sort of the the definitions or, or the ideas of common overwhelming obstacles and uh, things that, that we get overwhelmed by when, when life throws them at us uh, to sort of what is important or what are some important aspects for healing from these obstacles that tend to overwhelm you. Because, you know, when we find ourselves in a tight spot, in a bind, we often don't know where to turn. And I think there are a few key things that, uh, that for me personally, I feel like I have to keep in mind when I'm reacting to personal or familial uh, relationship-related overwhelming obstacles, and I have to get through them. Uh, one of these important things is resilience. Uh, I, I don't think resilience is always putting on a strong face or always building a wall or always being stalwart. That's not what it's about. Uh, I know there's a, there's a common adage or metaphor where you kind of try to imagine yourself as a blade of grass. So you're flowing with the circumstances, you're flowing with whatever life is throwing at you. Um, and part of that, I think, um, in, in in my short life and the short amount of experience I've I've gained so far um, dealing with whatever obstacles have come my way, I think that bending with the circumstances is letting yourself know that it's okay to have your weak moments and it's all right if you're feeling down, if you're feeling sad. So it's not even that resilience is always keeping up a strong front. It's more that resilience is letting yourself know that you don't always have to put on a strong front and that's okay and that's perfectly acceptable. And I think another key element of resilience, uh, uh, as I think of it, is keeping in mind that it will get better. So there's always ups and downs in life. And sure, you know, while it's good, the ups and downs means that life might take a turn for the worse. But on the converse side, when life hits a low, you always know that it's going to go up from there. And there's going to be a point where you can look back on whatever overwhelming obstacles you've been going through. And you can tell yourself, I did that and I got through it and I learned from it. And now I'm a stronger person because of it. So I think that's definitely really important for healing from obstacles and for finding your way back up from something that's kicked you down. 
I think what's also a key point of uh, recovery from overwhelm is uh, building up a good support network or making sure that your support network uh, will catch you, that you have uh, a, a sort of, not a range of people, but um, several relationships that you can rely on uh, to stay strong when you're going through something and you need advice or you need material support or emotional support or whatever whatever you feel is necessary for you to get back up on your feet. So you want to make sure that you have the support network and that you build it up and not just when you're going through a low point in life, but in kind of the everyday and the quotidian, you want to make sure that you have your support network and that it's reciprocal, that you're reaching out to people who who you want to know or he, you want them to know that you have their back. And when the time comes, they'll also have your back. And I think that's definitely important for healing. And I know that uh, a lot of people are aware that a support network is what makes a lot of things okay is what brings you back on your feet. I think uh, a lot of individuals, a lot of well-known individuals who have gone through hardships do cite their support networks as something that's very powerful that's been able to push them up from where where they've been and from where they've been down in the dumps. Um, and so that's definitely something to keep in mind. But I think also the key thing to remember about a support network is that Sometimes it can be hard to see how people around you are supporting you because everybody has a different way of showing that they care. And so when someone who's a part of your support network, uh, who you have a strong relationship with, doesn't reciprocate that support that you're giving them in the same way or in the same method that you use to show that you care about them, it can be sometimes, it can be, it can be hard to, to remember that different people have different ways of showing uh, where their love is coming from. I think I definitely had a little bit of a rift with my mom for a long time, because the way we uh, confer our emotions and let each other know that we have their backs uh, is the two ways are very different. So she shows her love in a way that's very different from mine. Um, and I think for a long time, I couldn't figure that out. I couldn't figure out why she was doing this or that in my time of need. But then I realized that that's how she shows her support. And I was able to to take that in and all, n not exactly translate it to how I see things, but I think understand where she's coming from and find comfort in that and you know I'm not gonna lie she does give some good advice even if it's even if sometimes it feels like she's rubbing salt on the wound which is again her particular way of showing that she cares uh, I think I think her method of uh, of providing support is also has its uses it's it's pros and its cons you know it's it's ups and its drawbacks and I think the same can be said for my way of showing that I care about her um, 
But I think those, again, are important for keeping in mind when you're trying to heal from an overwhelming obstacle. Now, besides the big things, resilience, support network, you know, having people there for you, getting through, there's also a lot of little things in the everyday that can help you feel better. Um, namely, the activities that you would kind of participate in, the hobbies that you take up. Your brain is shaped every day by the little things that you engage in, um, your little synapses, <laughs> the connections between your brain cells are formed by, you know, routine everyday things. Uh, so, you know, you just want to kind of find things like music and art and meditation, especially is coming to light now as a way to relax and to de-stress. Uh, and those little things can really help you overcome an obstacle. But Caitlin, I just want to ask you really quick um, to, I know I've been rambling because I'm, I'm excited about this topic and I think it's, it's definitely something to be talked about. But I want to ask, you know, what do you find in the everyday? What hobbies do you have um, that help you kind of get through overwhelming obstacles? Do you have anything that you do to de-stress or calm down? I do. I do. First of all, thank you so, so much. That was so thorough and fantastic and such a great start to the show since we are talking about overcoming overwhelm. And that was such a great beginning to the show. For me personally, it's actually a wonderful segue because I will be talking about one of my methods for relieving stress towards the end of the show today, which is journaling. I really, really love keeping a journal, whether it's in the beginning of the day to start off my morning, just writing a few things, maybe an intention for the day or something I'm grateful for. It's a really, really wonderful way as well, just for me to sort out all the thoughts in my head. I can decompress at the end of the day and write down everything that happened. And it's a really good way for me to overcome overwhelm. I think that just putting all the words down on paper, I feel like I'm releasing it. There's something very therapeutic about it. Um, I've also been trying to delve more into meditation. I've been using some guided apps for that because I think that meditation can be really intimidating when you're first starting. I know when I was first starting meditation, I would just sit there and, and think and I would be making like a grocery list in my head. And, you know, it's really hard to just sit in silence and, and to clear your thoughts. I feel like we're always running and going 24 seven. So for me, those are definitely two methods that are really great. And I'm really glad that you mentioned therapy as well, because I think that there's such a stigma around it. Um, but also there's art therapy and there's dance therapy and, you know, there's so many other methods besides traditional talk therapy. So I think that that's really awesome that you mentioned all these different ways that can help you lead to healing and to overcoming that overwhelm that we all face sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, journaling is, is definitely uh, an interesting one that I, I think I read uh, somewhere in, in, I think it was in the happiness hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt. Great book, by the way. <laughs> but I, I, he mentioned that there was some psychological study or psychology oriented study that uh, in which people who had gone through trauma and traumatic events that really impacted them uh, on that individual core basis, when they wrote it out and they kind of put into 
words and put on paper what they were feeling and tried to organize everything through journaling. It helped them with their recovery process. And they compared uh, the, the researchers who conducted the study um, compared that with controls who didn't journal. And they saw that there was definitely an impact with journaling. So I'm really glad that you, you do that. <laughs> need to feel like I need to take up journaling more. Like I do it every so once in a while, but I think it's definitely helpful for overcoming overwhelm. Yeah. And I, I think that for me too, and I'll talk about it more towards the end of the show, but the hardest thing for me is the consistency. So I have definitely started so many journals and I would write and write and then maybe not pick it up for like sometimes not even a month, sometimes three months. And then I would get kind of discouraged because it was just hard to incorporate it into my routine. But once I started doing it every day, now I start to feel kind of unbalanced if I don't. (laughs) So it's definitely become part of my regular routine. And I love reading those studies as well. I've seen a lot of scientific studies that it really does help not even just with relieving stress, but also cognitive, uh, like understanding and things of that sort. I I feel like my head is so clear after I journal. It's a really wonderful feeling. And most of my journal entries are <laughs> nothing like groundbreaking. Sometimes it's just as simple as, you know, writing down what I did during the day or writing lists or things of that sort. It's not I think that people have an idea that it has to be something so groundbreaking and complex, but even just writing down what you had for breakfast and how you're feeling (laughs) is totally acceptable too. Um, But thank you so, so much again, Brigitte, such wonderful, wise words. Uh, Thank you again for sharing and for kicking off our show. As a side note, Be The Star You Are for teens, as well as the newest establishment in the series, Be The Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World, can be found at starstylestore.net. So you can get a copy of the book. That book just came out um, about a year or so ago. Super exciting. Um, Be sure to pick up a copy. Remember that every bit of your purchase helps Benefit to be the star you are 501c3 charity and this express yourself program as a donation. So if you're looking for a book to read, I would definitely recommend picking that up and getting your copy. Check out our YouTube. It's youtube.com slash be the star you are for our fun and informative BTSYA videos on living, laughing and learning. So we've got our book and we've got our YouTube channel. Be sure to check it out. Keep on listening as we continue our conversation on Overcoming Overwhelm. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. It's 
Change your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thanks for staying with us here at Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. In this next segment, we're joined by author and speaker Christy Hugstad, also known as The Grief Girl. For all of Christy Hugstad's adult life, she had one clear goal, to provide the highest opportunity for fitness and health to everyone who walks into her studio or gym, a feat she accomplished daily for years until an unimaginable day in October 2012 when one tragic moment changed everything. In the wake of epic grief, Christy's life has found a new trajectory. She discovered a deep desire to inspire and help those in need, not just physically, but emotionally, psychologically, and even spiritually. Her mission now is to reach out to those wrestling with grief and offer the opportunity to find a safe place to confront their pain and fears, to address them, change them, and ultimately move through them to a new perspective and new life. With that, let's welcome Christy onto the show. Hi, Christy. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm so well. I'm so excited to speak with you today. And I just wanted to jump right in, especially because we know that you're an author. You just had a book come out a few months ago called Beneath the Surface, A Teen's Guide to Reaching Out When You or Your Friend is in Crisis. Um, Congratulations. That's um, such a great accomplishment to be published and especially to have a book of that nature that I'm sure is helping so many people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm real excited. Mm, well, congrats. Uh, I would love to hear a little synopsis on what the book is about and also what inspired you to write this book. Well, as you said in just giving a brief summary of my story, after my husband's suicide, I became very passionate about suicide prevention, and I kind of made it my life's mission. And when I started to reflect on everything that I'd been through, I realized, you know what? My husband had already bought into the stigma of mental illness, and because he felt that shame and that stigma, you know, it cost him his life. He didn't reach out for help. He was ashamed that he had depression, and he was brought up as a young boy that to show emotion or to be mentally unhealthy is a sign of weakness. So I didn't want to just help other bills. I wanted to start young with our teens so that they can grow up in a culture where it's normal and it's okay to reach out for help and to teach our teens that mental illnesses and mental emotional issues are going to happen. They're a normal part of life. And I want them, I want that message to start young because I don't want there to be more bills. And so for me, the suicide education and prevention was all about starting young so that they can grow up differently 
and not have that stigma that my husband was experiencing. Wow. Yes, I completely agree. And I think that suicide is such a widespread issue today. And I do feel like it's it's almost getting younger and younger. I know I read these articles sometimes of, you know, children and very young teens committing suicide. And it really does break my heart because I agree that it all starts with prevention. It all starts with education and letting people know that they're not alone. And all of us experience um, hard times. And, you know, depression is very, very common, anxiety, mental illnesses. I think that breaking that stigma is really the first step. So I love that you're starting at a young, young age and creating this teen's guide. Um, well, I want teens today. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. I just wanted to know what the process was like for you because it is such a heavy, heavy topic and what kind of research you went into and uh, if you spoke to teens and kind of what that was like to be on the front lines. Well, I actually am a health teacher, and I go to a lot of the schools in my area, and I talk to teens, and they share their issues. And so I kind of open up that conversation because it's really hard, a really difficult subject for teachers and parents and counselors to address because, you know, it's it's new, and it's a little bit scary. And a lot of us, when we went to college, we were not trained in mental health. So um, by talking directly to teens in schools, I realized that, you know what, they're growing up in a whole different world. They have so many more stressors that I didn't have when I was their age. I didn't have the cyberbullying. You know, I was, when I came home from school, I had a safe place. And if somebody wanted to call me and continue to bully me, they would have to call my landline. <laughs> so the cyberbullying, that is starting when the kids get home from school, the bullying actually picks up. And people that you wouldn't expect to be a bully at school feel safe to do that at home behind, the, behind a computer. So, you know, you're dealing with so many different stresses, uh, the pressure, self-pressure, peer pressure to fit in, parental pressure, academic pressure, trying to get the good grades to get into a certain college. You know, it's just, it's a lot for our teens to deal with, and it can be so overwhelming. They don't have the tools to deal with that, and they don't know what is going on. So that's why I thought, hey, I need to have direct communication with these teens, go into the schools, write a book for them, and to make it easy is at the end of the book, I write discussion questions for each each chapter. So in other words, let's say I have a chapter on self-harm or bullying or, you know, technology addiction, uh, eating disorder, substance abuse. I write the questions down for each chapter to make it easy for the parent to start the conversation with their child, or also it serves as a lesson plan for the teacher for their classroom. Because it's so, it's one thing to say we've, we've got to start these conversations. We've got to normalize it. But it's another thing to actually take it a step further and say, okay, here's how you do it. Here's, here's how you start that conversation. You sit down with your teen. You both go over these questions and that will be the icebreaker. So I didn't want it to just be, you know, a book of information. I want it to actually be an active learning tool so that parents and teachers and, uh, 
school counselors and administrators and the teens can all get on the same page. Wow, that's a fantastic point, too, about opening up a conversation, because I remember when I was in high school, I'm in college now, but I do remember in certain health classes, maybe four or five years ago, we started to talk about mental health and we started to talk about suicide, but it wasn't quite uh, as in-depth, I think, of a curriculum as I would have wanted. I just remember hearing the facts, hearing the information. You know, we know that suicide is the second leading cause of death, um, things of that sort. And I remember being struck by it, but still not really being given the tools and still not having a conversation about it. So I really, really appreciate that differentiation of not just throwing out the facts, but truly getting down on the ground and providing the tools that people need and providing those discussion questions because it can be really it can be really overwhelming just even knowing where to start with an issue this big well exactly and what i do and i and this is in the in in the book i share my story so i start to talk about my husband's depression and his insomnia and his hopelessness and his withdrawal and isolation and as I tell the story leading up to his suicide, I have the um, students write down the warning signs and risk factors after we've gone over them as the story unfolds. So it's not like I'm just throwing them out there and saying, memorize this. I'm actually telling a story, and you have to identify the warning signs and risk factors, write them down, and then we go over them at the end so that when they leave they actually do know what to look for because they've had an active learning drill in the classroom. So, you know, they participate, and then they don't know what's going to happen at the end. You know, is he going to be okay or or what happens? And I've actually had the students, you know, my message, too, is, you know, if if you have a friend that has talked about taking their own life or doesn't want to be here anymore... And they swear you to secrecy and say, oh, please don't tell anybody. That's not the time to keep a secret. Tell an adult you trust immediately. So I, I really stress that, you know, that you could be saving a life by telling a trusted adult. And then after the class, I am the adult that they trusted because I'm not their teacher or their parent. I'm just somebody who has lived with somebody that's very depressed. I've been depressed myself. And my story ultimately ends in suicide, so they feel comfortable and safe. And so that's what I'm trying to do with the book is give teens and young adults a safe place coming from somebody who gets it and who's been there. Mm, I really, really appreciate that. And I could definitely see how the students would feel open to telling you and uh, informing you about their own possible traumas or their friends' traumas. And I really like how you said that now is not the time to keep a secret. I do remember when I was possibly in, I believe, maybe seventh or eighth grade, and I had a very close friend that uh, her mother had recently passed, and she was having suicidal thoughts. And I was probably only 13 at the time, but I remember her telling me all of this and telling me that she didn't want to live anymore. This was my friend um, saying this. And I, 
I mean, at, at 13, I, I just, I didn't even know what to do. And I did tell my mom and I did tell a teacher and uh, my friend was able to get the help that she needed. And thank goodness. But I do very, very clearly recall that, oh no, I, I don't want to betray my friend. Like, is she going to get mad at me if I tell, you know, and now that I'm a lot older, you know, that was close to 10 years ago, I, I can look back and I can really recognize like, wow, that was, that was an adult situation, but we were just kids. So, um, right. I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned it. 13 year old to navigate that. I really find that most 13 year olds, they're going to opt to not betray their friend because when you are that age, all that matters is your little world of peers and your school and what's going on, you know, with with your friends. And so I have to give you kudos at 13 to have an adult enough brain to know that she could be in serious trouble or her life could be in danger and tell your your mother because that's not the case. So what's great about about talking to 13-year-olds is... I am giving you permission to betray your friend, and it is not betrayal. You could be saving their life, and they really need to hear that because they're at a point in their life where their peers are their priority. So that's a really tough call for them to make. Mm, Absolutely. Um, And I wanted to segue into, for those listening, maybe giving some tips on how to keep yourself from feeling too overwhelmed. As I mentioned, today's theme is overcoming overwhelm. And we all go through those times where your stress can manifest in very dangerous ways. So I wanted to know for anyone listening, what can we tell them in regards to uh, good, healthy ways to relieve stress and not to feel so overwhelmed? Because life can be overwhelming, even when you are a teenager, maybe even so when you're a teenager, because as you mentioned, all of those outside pressures and you don't quite know how to deal with it. And it's all very confusing. And um, being a teenager is hard. So I just wanted to know if you had any ways that we can stop this stress from manifesting in a dangerous way. Well, I think the most important thing is that you have to give yourself permission to be human and to lighten your load. You can't be involved in every drama and extracurricular and get straight A's and put all this pressure. A lot of the pressure is coming from yourself. You don't want to disappoint your parents, so you want to get good grades and you want to be a good athlete or you want to be, you know, in drama or dance or whatever. And I think it's important for teens to actually sit down with their parents and have a heart-to-heart and just say, hey, you know, uh, this is too much for me. I'm feeling overwhelmed and I, I need to light my load. I need to give something up because this is more than I can handle. And kids are so focused on pleasing their parents, and that's a tough conversation to have. So I would say more importantly to the parents, you need to instigate you know, that discussion with your kids because they're not going to come to you because they don't want to disappoint you. But just simple things like you know, some basic self-care, you know, to allow yourself some time to hang out with friends and don't stay home on your phone and on Snapchat and on Instagram, you know, actually meet people one-on-one, face-to-face, and, you know, have some time with family, get outside, get some fresh air, you know, rejuvenate in nature, go for a walk, 
and it's really important to take care of yourself physically. That raises the dopamine and the endorphins in your brain, which are the feel-good chemicals. So it's real important that you stay away from the junk food and the diet sodas and try to eat decently, get lots of sleep, and get get outside and exercise. You don't have to. You know, you could go for a 15-minute walk, but you just need to move because that will help to rewire your brain. So all of that self-care is as as simple and basic as they seem really do change the way that you feel about yourself and it helps to boost your self-esteem. So, uh, you know, I can't stress enough, you don't have to be everything to everybody. If you are overwhelmed and you can't handle your schedule, cut back in the areas that you can. It is not worth it because what I see happening is then that's when you can't cope. You start to self-harm. You might start cutting yourself. You might start to get depressed. And there's just like this domino effect that can happen from that overwhelming feeling. So, you know, you need to start taking care of yourself and your stress early before it becomes something really serious. Yes, 100%. And I really feel like I didn't learn self-care until maybe once I got to college and I was living on my own and I realized that I was just getting so stressed and, you know, I didn't have my mom quite physically there for me because I had moved from New Jersey to California. So I had to very quickly learn how to make sure that my mental health was in check and that I was taking care of myself, not just physically, but emotionally too. It can be really easy to forget that. And I'm so glad that you mentioned going out to nature because I just spent a weekend um, away camping and I just forgot how, how healing that can be to be off your phone and just out and breathing and, you know, just the simple things in life can really ground you. Absolutely. Um, And you know what? It's also important to give yourself a break. And you know what? There are days when it's okay to just do the minimum. You know, you can just get through, get through your classes. You don't have to go to everything that's scheduled after school. And, you know, there are days where you just need to take a break from your schedule and change it up a bit. And that's okay. You know, you always feel like you have to overachieve and, and, and be this perfect, you know, young adult. And that's not true. You know, self, part of self-care is allowing yourself to have minimum days. <laughs> mm, I totally agree. And I think I'm, I feel pretty lucky because when I reflect on my time growing up, my mom was always very understanding of that. And I remember every once in a while, me or my sisters, she would see that we're having a hard time and maybe I would be doing homework and I would just break down crying like, oh, I have to get a good grade on this. And I would get so upset. And, you know, my mom, she would even allow us to um, stay home from school every once in a while and just have like a little mental health day where we just watch a movie and I talked to my mom and um, even though it wasn't a traditional sick day where I'm like sneezing and coughing, um, it was more of a mental health day. I, I really appreciated that she had done that, although perhaps a little controversial, but <laughs> looking back, not I, at all. I'm glad my mom did. You know, what the, that's really changing, you know, even with adults taking time off for work, you know, that's changing now that you don't have to explain what what disease you have, you can take a sick day and it can be a personal day, it can be a mental health day. So that is changing. But I agree completely is that sometimes just not having 
to step up and perform and having a day off school is really an important part of self-care. I agree. Mm, I love hearing your opinion on it. Um, So going back to your book, Beneath the Surface, you chronicle several myths in life-saving conversations. So I wanted to discuss some of the myths about teenagers and teen suicide, because although we're beginning to talk about it, I do think that there are probably some misconceptions. And there was one example myth that I had here, which was that teens who complete suicide always act sad beforehand, which is not always the case. So I wanted to possibly hear about some myths and what you had to say on that. Well, it is not always the case because sometimes they feel relieved because they've made that decision. And they may stay, start doing things like saying goodbye, you know, maybe indirectly, maybe directly, or giving away prized possessions. So they feel almost a sense of euphoria that they're no longer going to be in so much emotional pain that to other people, they, they seem almost, you know, euphoric or happy. So that is, you know, that's a myth that they always have to be in a real depressed state. Um, another myth is that suicide is a selfish act. And, you know, that certainly isn't, isn't true. Um, as a matter of fact, it's kind of the opposite. Where, you know, most people that complete suicide feel that they're a burden to other people, that they don't matter, that they won't be missed. So it's, you know, they're in a really a really dark place and their self-esteem is very low and they're not thinking about the impact they're going to have on other people because in their heads, in that dark place, they think that everybody close to them, their loved ones would all be better off without them. Right, right. You are so correct on that, that people tend to um, think of that or like teens who threaten suicide or looking for attention or, you know, those kinds of ideas I think are really toxic that people have because, as you mentioned, um, people typically think that they are a burden to their friends. It's not a selfish act because, like you said, they they really believe that. And um, I think that that's, that must just be so tough to be in that mindset. Absolutely, and you know what? The reason it's it, it really kind of is nails on a chalkboard for me when I hear people say that it's an you know it's just trying to get attention. If your brain is in a in a really healthy place, you're not going to be talking about suicide and not wanting to live. I mean, it's just you have to take those comments or those threats seriously, because I will speak from personal experience. My husband talked about not wanting to be here, and, you know, constantly. And so it's hard to know, are they just doing it for attention, or do they seriously not want to live? And in my case, you know, he was, it was not, it was not, he wasn't speaking of taking his life to get attention. You know, he was actually kind of indirectly reaching out. So Mm -hmm. whenever you hear people talk about taking their lives, don't dismiss it as them wanting attention. Right, right. And I always think of it as, well, perhaps they, they might need, like, attention. They might need friends. They need support. They they need these things. So I think that it is really cringy to hear people say, oh, they're looking for attention because, you know, just that that 
I don't know, that phrase itself, like you said, such nails on chalkboard. But um, I, I do think of it, though, as like, wow, they, they do. They need help. They need they need support. Um, I don't think like attention is the right word. And I don't like when people use that phrase. But I, I totally agree. Um, something else I wanted to, to like mention this. a little bit was that girls actually attempt suicide twice as often as boys, but boys complete suicide four times more than girls. I thought that that was an interesting statistic. Um, and I wanted to know if you had any opinions on it. Uh, I was really surprised to learn that girls attempt suicide twice as often as boys. Well, the for females, it is oftentimes more a cry for help. Not attention, a cry for help. And so women typically choose less violent means, like, you know, overdosing on pills or, you know, so, you know, going to sleep and, you know, or poisoning. So the methods that men choose are typically more violent. And, you know, part of that is their hormonal body chemistry. And so the methods that males choose are more lethal. My husband, for example, ran in front of a Metrolink train. You know, the odds of surviving that are zero. He had a prior attempt where he'd taken a bottle of sleeping pills. He lived through that. So the the reason that men die four times uh, than women is because of the methods that they choose. Usually, you know, firearms, or moving in front of uh, a large object, a bus, a train, you know, uh, jumping on the tracks of the subway, that kind of thing. So that's a very true statistic, and, um, you know, it's because of the methods that they choose. Wow. Wow. Thank you so, so much for your insight. Thank you for sharing. I feel like I learned so much from this conversation. And um, I wanted to just say thank you, Christy, for sharing your incredible journey with us. Audience, please find more about Christy at thegriefgirl.com. Make sure to support our show and learn about our upcoming BTSYA events at BeTheStarYouAre.org. Support more segments like this one by donating to the Be The Star You Are 501c3 literacy charity that brings you this program at BeTheStarYouAre.org. And please visit BTSYA.org to find out more about spreading positivity through Be The Star You Are. Stick around for more on overcoming overwhelm. I'm Caitlin Darrow. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. 
VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I'm Caitlin Darrow, and in this segment, I will be concluding our show on overcoming overwhelm. I'll be finishing today's wonderful show with a segment about journaling, which is something that me and Brigitte started to talk about a little bit in the beginning of the show. So it's great to see it all come full circle. And I'm really excited to share a method for you to relieve your stress because personally, journaling has been a huge stress relieving method that I've been utilizing throughout my entire life. I remember journaling pretty sporadically when I was in elementary school, middle school, more just kind of scribbling down in a notebook. Um, But when I started my classes at UCLA, I just remember how much I needed to have a safe space to write down my feelings every day. And suddenly my mind just felt less cluttered and less overwhelmed. I actually read a scientific study recently which explored how journaling can improve your cognitive functioning, and I thought that that was just pretty amazing. While I keep a daily journal, you can tailor your writing to focus on a specific area of your life. So, for example, I have a very close friend, and she actually keeps a gratitude journal, and every day she writes down five things that she is grateful for. I'm also familiar with dream journaling, which is for documenting and describing your dreams. However, I will primarily be sharing my experience with daily journaling because that's what I engage with the most. I remember when I first started journaling, two of my biggest issues were perfectionism and consistency. I can be a bit of a perfectionist, so instead of delving right in and exploring my emotions, I was too distracted with having good penmanship and making sure I didn't spell words wrong. (laughs) It was really quite silly now looking back because no one was ever going to see it besides me. So I just had to push past that perfectionism and accept that my journal would have scribbles and maybe a spelling error here and there. And I just kept telling myself that this journal is for me and nobody else. My other issue came down to consistency. I would pick up my journal one night and write until my wrist was aching, and then I wouldn't pick up that pen and paper again for six months. So there are significant periods of times that are missing in my journals because I have difficulty committing to a regular practice. But now I try to journal every morning, and because I've been doing it so long, it has become a regular habit. I usually start to feel a little weird or unbalanced if days go by and I haven't picked up my journal. So now I set aside at least 20 minutes a day just to write freely, but sometimes I end up writing for an hour and then sometimes I only write for five minutes. It really depends how I'm feeling that day. It can be intimidating to open a blank page, so my advice to you would be to start with setting aside a few minutes. Jotting down a few ideas is better than writing nothing, so just try to remember that. This leads me to my next part, which is journaling prompts. I would love to share some prompts with you today just to get you started because that is truly the hardest part. 
Once you start writing, the words will freely flow out, but I understand that it can be difficult to initially begin. So here are a couple prompts to get you started. The first one is, what was important to you five years ago and what is important now? I like this question a lot because it forces you to think about your evolution. You can see the areas where you've grown and perhaps the areas that will always remain the same within you. So for example, five years ago, I was in high school and my grades, my extracurricular activities were number one. And now I'm going to be graduating college soon. So some of my big concerns is creating good work and finding a job that makes me happy. So the things I value have changed throughout time, but I still feel just as ambitious as I did five years ago. Moving on, my next prompt is, if you had three wishes, what would you wish for? This is always a fun question to fall back on because it changes for me quite frequently. This question allows you to dream big and discover what your biggest desires are at the moment. My last prompt is to make a list of all the people in your life who genuinely support you. Your parents, your siblings, friends, teachers, etc., I remember doing this a few weeks ago and being so surprised at my list because it was just so much longer than I thought it would be. Seeing all these names physically written out on paper reminded me that I always have a strong support system around me. And of course, you can always just write about your day. I usually utilize prompts when I'm feeling uncreative or a little bit in a rut. Every once in a while, I do find myself in that rut. So that's when I find journal prompts to be the most helpful. In closing, journaling has helped me overcome overwhelm. It's just one of the simple tools that I've chosen to utilize, but you can also try other methods as well, like me and Brigitte had talked about earlier, such as dance and art and going to therapy or taking medication if you feel like you're depressed or have anxiety or any mental illness of that sort. It's all about breaking the stigma and finding what works for you and how you will find healing because maybe journaling won't be for you, but maybe once you try it out, you'll find that it does help you sort out all the thoughts in your head. And again, I think that it's one of the easiest practices to dedicate yourself to because all you need is pen and paper. It's not expensive. Anyone can do it. After today's segment, I hope that you'll consider picking up a journal for yourself. Audience, please support BTSYA and find information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs on our main site at bethestarur.org. I'm Caitlin Darrow, and you've been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. As always, we give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment Crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program, Overcome Overwhelm. Thank you again for listening to our whole theme today and supporting all of our guests. Be active, believe in your success, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars to shine.
between the lines if you would let yourself